Welcome to the Souls Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soulishchurch.com. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come to you this morning recognizing that you are the Father of lights. You're the source of all illumination and goodness and glory. You're the one we need in the midst of of dark things, of dark seasons of dark feelings, of dark thoughts, Lord, even of of dark behaviors, whatever the form of darkness, we recognize this morning that you're the source of light. And we we come to you together, God, unified, mutually in need of your light to shine on us this morning. That's why we're here, Jesus. You're the one, God, your word says, you dwell in unapproachable light. Yet you've brought us near to you to transform us by your light. So would you shine on our hearts this morning? Jesus, would you give us your light? As we open your word, would you enlighten our path? And as we pray each week, God, would you, in the way that you do, would you invade this time with your voice and your presence and your spirit? Lord, you know what we need even more than we do. So we pray that as we come with open hearts, we would find our needs met in you this morning as you speak to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. Well, tracking through this New Testament, really this biblical mountain peak of all the scriptures, We've been studying the book of Ephesians for a few months, making our way through, kind of section by section here. And every week, we're exploring a different aspect of life in Christ. That preposition is the key focus of this book. We tend to be often focused more on how we need to live for Christ, for things to be of Christ, and those are all good prepositions. But Paul has a preeminent preposition for us in this book, and that is that we would be people that are first positioned and rooted in Christ, which is where we have been placed through the good news of Jesus, through the finished work of the gospel as in its application to us today. We say it every week, but I'm not sure what you're going through today. If you are in Christ, 
you're in good hands. <laughs> you are in the best possible place that you could ever desire to be in if you are in Christ this morning. And we're exploring that. And in this passage, here's the theme. Every week is a different aspect of why that's good news. And in this passage, here's the theme, as you might have already guessed. It's light in Christ. Light in Christ. This is what Paul is exploring and we would say emphasizing here in this passage. Paul is using... The metaphor of light, listen closely, as a summary and symbol of Christ's work in our lives. Now, the concept and imagery of light, as we all must, we all, most of us know already, it's used all throughout the Bible. Light is, it's almost like every book of the Bible, uh, you have the authors using light or the imagery of light to convey something. All throughout the Bible, it's used to convey a variety of different things, uh, especially in its contrast to, to what, obviously? Darkness. That's good. All right, we're going to have some good class participation today. The good news is it's really easy questions. <laughs> What's the opposite of light? There it is. Uh, this is what Scripture uses as symbolism for us to think about life and God and his work in our lives. You know, um, the Scriptures describe in Isaiah like a dangerous time, the dangerous times in culture where light and darkness are one and the same. And Isaiah says, what are those who call evil good and good evil and darkness light and light darkness? We live in a day and age where the mindset and the worldview of secularism has really created a blend of light and darkness. It's kind of a gray area. There, aren't, there is nothing that's truly absolutely light and there's nothing that's truly absolute darkness. But scripture has no problem making the division between light and darkness. Even from the very beginning, the, the Bible says in Genesis that God divided the light and darkness. And, and this division, again, is used all throughout the Bible to, to convey imagery about our lives and what we're walking through and, and who God is. Now, there is so much to this metaphor in Scripture. And, and if you know me, I'm going to mine every last inch of a biblical idea. So this is, you know, some people with sermons, their problem is like, they don't have enough to say. They're like, man, I just wish I had more to say. Usually for me, there's a big cutting room floor, okay? And there's just a mess of stuff all over the place. And this was one of those messages where I'm like, Lord, there's just so much in the Bible about light. Where do you even begin? And where do you even think about ending, right? Uh, and so here's what I thought I'd do. I thought I'd have some fun as a pastor and create an acronym, okay? <laughs> just want to live into the stereotype this morning. Here's just five biblical ideas that light often conveys that I think will help us understand a little bit more of what Paul is getting at when he's using this metaphor. And I think what we'll find is these biblical ideas have found their way into modern culture, a lot of the different concepts. But let's start with L. A lot of times in Scripture, light represents love and life. Where there's light, we know that there's life. That's why any of you who are aspiring green thumb arborists, you know that the proper um, process of any, any growth of any plant involves that of light. If there's going to be life, there needs to be light. And we see that this is a great picture of light in Scripture. Uh, light represents the life of God himself, which also has this, th these rays of love coming from him. I think of the verse in, in the Old Testament, the, the, 
the, the benediction for God, the light of God's countenance to shine upon you, the light of his, of his love and his life to be upon you. So when you think of light, we should think of life. In him was light, and that light was the life of man. Another picture we could think of with, with light is this idea of insight and illumination. Um, all throughout the Bible, we see light is used to convey the idea of seeing clearly and not having to stumble around in the dark. But we use the metaphor in our culture today that the light bulb, it turns on, right? The light switches are on. And this is often used in scripture. The word for this is to be enlightened. The light kicks on and you understand. This is one of the things the Holy Spirit does in our lives is he illuminates our understanding to see Jesus for all that he is to see what he has to say to us in his word, to see who we are before him. Light represents insight, illumination. It also represents in scripture goodness and glory. You know, often light is, the, if God is the sun, the rays, the light that comes forth from the sun is the glory of God's goodness. We see light is symbolic of, of what's right, even in this passage we read, of what's good and true. And again, it's also symbolic with, with glory, that which is glorious and beautiful. That's light. I want you to think of maybe Paul. He's knocked off his high horse on the road to Damascus by this glorious light that appears before him. Light is also symbolic of hope and help. When life gets dark, we, we long for a light. We long to see Clearly, this is the ongoing battle that my wife and I have when I have to get out of bed. I'm, she's a very sensitive sleeper. Anybody else? I, you already know where I'm going with this. Okay. And I have this problem. It's like, do I wake Brittany up with the rhinoceros noise of my feet or tripping over something and getting hurt? I don't want to do that. I don't want to wake more. Or do I just turn on that iPhone light? And, and I've gotten really good at it. So like I put it at the, you know what I'm talking about? Where you put it at the lowest dim iPhone light setting. But then you like put your hand around it and you mute it a little bit more. So I'm like kind of an expert iPhone light at night guy. Um, that does not come from Brittany. She doesn't believe that. But, um, but, but you get the idea. There's, there's dark times that we walk through. And light in scripture is often a symbol of hope. We would say in our culture, there's a light where at the end of the tunnel. I think of David in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? Light often shows up in scripture as a symbol of God's hope in a dark time. The light that's peeking through and his help. And lastly, we'll say this about light as an image in scripture. It's imagery of truth and transparency. You know, we would even use the phrase in our culture that, that something came to light. It, it came into the light. What was true was finally uncovered and discovered. And this is another idea that's used in the Bible, this idea of the light exposing. We even read it there in Ephesians 5. The truth of a matter where darkness conceals, light reveals. So all throughout the Bible, again, you have this idea of light as an image, light as a symbol for God and his work in, in our lives and also just the experience of life. Uh, but as I said, it's often in contrast, as Paul uses it here in Ephesians 5, it's in contrast with darkness. And I don't have a, you know, eight-letter acronym for the word darkness. In fact, it's much easier than creating an acronym for darkness because darkness is simply this. Darkness, when we talk about light, we have an understanding of all that it represents. Well, on a simple level, if we think about what darkness is, it's simply just the opposite or better understood as the absence of light. 
That's what darkness is. Darkness is really just the lack of light. Darkness is only darkness until you turn on the lights. And, and this is another thing that the scripture describes as a part of the human experience. There's light, there's hope, there's help, there's truth, there's insight, there's goodness, there's life. And then through sin, there's darkness. I don't have to convince you that there's darkness in the world. Through sin, we, we would just say this, that there's the absence of light. Darkness is the absence of life. It's death. It's destruction. Darkness is the absence of insight and illumination. It's confusion. It's deceit. It's living in, in, in a framework of lies. Darkness is the op opposite and the absence of goodness. When the light's not on, it's a state of, of evil. It's a state of brokenness. This is why Satan himself, he masquerades as an angel of light, but he's really the source of darkness. Without light in our lives, in the place of darkness, we have a lack of hope, lack of help. And apart from light, we have, instead of truth and transparency, we have lies and we have hidden things. This is the idea that Paul is playing with getting us to think about how all these things, listen closely, come to bear in the person and work of Jesus. Like if there was one ultimate fulfillment of this metaphor, another way we could say this, of darkness and light and all of its implications and all that these different acronyms and things mean and what the presence and absence of light symbolizes, if there was one place to really look to get a clear picture of all of it, Paul is saying it's the person of Jesus. And it's not Paul who came up with this concept. In fact, Jesus himself, I love Jesus here in John 8. One of his great I am statements, Jesus says in John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is like all those things, Jesus said this, okay? He said all those things in Andrew's acronym, he said this, I'm the embodiment of life. I'm the embodiment of love. I'm the embodiment of insight and truth. I'm the embodiment of goodness. I'm the embodiment of hope. I'm the embodiment of truth. Jesus says, I, what an invitation this morning. We look at Jesus. He's the light of the world. And what does he say to you and I? He says that he who follows me shall not walk in darkness. The darkness doesn't have to define you and I. We can have, through Jesus, the light. He comes to turn on the lights by embodying the light in his very presence. Again, this is what Paul is unpacking in this passage, light in Christ. If there was a way to kind of summarize the verses that David read to us in light of these concepts, I think we would say that Ephesians 5 verses 8 through 14 is just describing the impact and the implications of Jesus being the light of the world for us. Like why it's good news for you and me today and why there's implications today for Jesus being the light of the world. And you could jot these things down. Here's what Paul has to say. Essentially, in this passage, Paul says that the implications and impact of Jesus being the light of the world comes to bear on our identity in Christ. It's transformed our identity. It comes to bear on our activity, which is how we, how we live or what we do. And the light of Jesus has come to bear also on our ministry, which is how we serve God in the world. This is what Paul has to say. He says, first, write this first one down as you see it up there. First thing that Paul says is that the light of Christ informs 
our identity. This is such a great place to start. Paul says this about the light of Jesus as it's impacted our lives. He says a pretty black and white statement, I mean literally a black and white or a dark and light statement about our identity. He says in Ephesians 5, 8, the first, first part of verse 8, he says this, for you, just hear God's word spoken over your life today, you who are in Christ, hear this, for you were once darkness. That's sobering. But now you are light in the Lord. The first thing Paul says is that the light of Jesus informs who we are. And a health, listen, any mature and healthy Christian understanding of identity is going to be a combination of both remembering who we were apart from Jesus, but also a rootedness, a firm grasp on who we are now in Jesus, right? We, we need both of those. We can't be those that are so confident in our identities in Christ that we forget that it was Jesus that put us here in the first place. Amen? That we are where we are, not because we earned it, not because we you know, illuminated our way into the light, but no, it's the work of Jesus. We have to remember who we would be apart from Jesus. But another part of that, Paul says, is you also have to remember that who you were, listen, is no longer who you are. You were darkness Somebody say, but now. Two more people say, but now. But now, that was more than two, thank you. All right. But now, Paul says, in Christ, you are light in the Lord. This is who you were. Remember that. But don't stay there. Remember now that this is who you are. What incredible imagery Paul gives. Now, he says that our condition apart from Christ was so severe it was so steeped in darkness that the, that the darkness that surrounded us and the darkness that was within us, this is what sin does. It actually led to it defining us. This is a heavy idea. He doesn't say that you were once in darkness. He's like, darkness was such a problem in your life and it was such a saturating kind of a power in your life that it became who you were. I mean, that's kind of heavy to think about. I don't know if we naturally think that who Andrew was or who you were apart from Jesus. Who were you? I was straight up darkness. Just truly, this is what Paul is saying. This was our condition. So filled and so stuck in our condition of darkness that it began to define us. But notice again, but now, I love this idea. We've switched sides is the idea. We've switched teams like Ray Allen joining the Miami Heat. Praise God, we pray for a couple um, effective games here in the near future. But Paul's like, you completely changed sides. You've completely switched teams. This may have been who you were, but now you are light in the Lord. This is the good news of the gospel. Look what Paul says in Colossians 1. He says that Jesus, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Hear this over your life today. And he has conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. This is what he's done over your life. I love 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who, have not, who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. Mercy. Again, Peter's like, it's not who you were, but it's certainly who you are now in Jesus. Because here's what happened. We were in darkness. But glory be to God, the light showed up. The light showed up and called your name. Called you out. 
and called you out of darkness into something new. This is what Jesus is speaking over your life today. If you're here today and you're like, I'm not fully all in on the Jesus thing, what is this about? This is about a voice of love calling your name out of darkness into marvelous light. He's saying, I have something so much more for you than the darkness you've settled with or the darkness you've settled with managing. I'm calling you into something new. This is the work of the gospel. I'm calling you into the light. You were darkness, but in Christ you are now light in the Lord. Is that true over your heart today? When you look in the mirror, do you say, look at me, I am light in the Lord. This is who I am. Now, I mentioned John 8, 12, where Jesus speaks about this idea about himself, right? Paul is repeating what Jesus said. Jesus is like, I'm showing up as the light to save you from the darkness. Come follow me out of the darkness and into the life. And really, um, I wish I could go through in depth the Gospel of John to explore this concept. But, but really, the Gospel of John is like one of the primary places in the Bible to see Jesus really live this out. Um, and I'll just give you a little summary of this. Jesus as the light. I mean, just in, in, on page one of John's Gospel, we see Jesus as the life in the beginning. And his life was the light of men. This is basically what this is saying is before everything went wrong... Before darkness took over, we all found the source of our life in the light with Jesus. In other words, you were created to walk with Jesus. You were made by him and for him. And from the very beginning, that's how we were designed. It's also why things have gone wrong. We've disconnected from the light source. But notice this. Good news is still that the light shines in the darkness that we create. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Another translation is the darkness doesn't overcome it. Okay, if you turn on the lights, the light always wins over the darkness. It goes on to say this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. And this man came for a witness, to bear witness, it's really of his cousin, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. This is just the theme of John's gospel. Now, it's important to say he was not the light. John the Baptist was not that light. But he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, here it is again, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Now, who wouldn't want this? I mean, who, after really facing darkness, wouldn't want Jesus as the light? That's a good question to ask. And Jesus answers. I mean, why today still do we have such an aversion to Jesus? Why, why is, I understand Christians, like I do, I am one, I've been around them, I understand how the world often has an aversion to Christians, I get that. But what causes someone steeped in darkness to reject the light? Jesus tells us, he tells us in, in, in our understanding of the gospel, it's two chapters later in John 3. Jesus is like, I want you to understand the ministry of Jesus and why it's not being received in the world. He, he says this. this is a, write this down. This is John 3.16. Okay? For God so loved the world, seeing it in the dark state it was in, that he gave his only begotten son the light of the world, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now here's an important unpacking this is Jesus giving a theological commentary on the most famous verse in all the Bible. And I wish this verse was read in context. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God didn't send the light of the world into the darkness to condemn the darkness. 
but to save those in darkness. We see that? He who believes in Jesus is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John's like, Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation. He came to save us from the condemnation we were already in. He came to redeem us and bring light into the darkness. True condemnation is the rejection of the light. It's saying, I'd rather have my condemnation. I'd rather stay in the dark than come to the light. This is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world. Here's what Jesus, this is the words of Jesus. This is God speaking to the condition of humanity and why people reject the light. Men prefer darkness rather than light. Because what does the light do? It exposes evil deeds. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light lest their deeds should be exposed. You see, it's, it's the contrast, that maybe you've heard it before, between a cockroach and a butterfly, okay? Two creatures that do two different things when the lights go on. Do you know what I'm talking about? One has an aversion to the light, and one has a delight in the light to be seen, to be known, to be warmed with the light. And many of us, we have this aversion to the light, maybe because, listen, we're afraid that if I come to the light, I'm going to get stepped on. We're genuinely afraid of this. We're afraid if if I really came to God in full honesty with who I am before him, he would respond to me in rejection and anger and judgment and condemnation. Jesus is like, that's not why I came into the world. Maybe Christians have treated you that way. That's not Jesus. Did you know that? And there's a great picture of how this isn't Jesus. This is something else. It's called religion. Religion, instead of shining the light to save people, it misuses the light to blind people and condemn people, like a spotlight of condemnation, you know, that they can hide behind because you can't see their deeds in the dark. That's who Jesus is speaking to here is the Pharisees. They live behind the light, so the light goes all on the person, and it's kind of like you're a deer in the headlight, so to speak. And some of us are afraid So we prefer the light. We resort to the light because we're we're used to being condemned when we're honest. There's a great example of this as you keep going through the Gospel of John. I want you to see this and read this with fresh eyes. In the morning, Jesus came again into the temple. And all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them in John 8. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, they're the ones with the spotlight of condemnation. They bring to him a woman caught in adultery when they had set her in the midst. Now, first of all, how did they catch this woman in adultery? I'll tell you, a trap. That's what religion does. It traps you into being honest, and then it condemns you. And they come as these spotlights, and they're just, you know, you can't see their sin, right? Because it's all on her. It's all on her. And they bring her before Jesus. And here's this woman in all of her, I mean, we cannot even begin to fathom the degree of shame embodied in this individual. Personal and public shame. Brought before Jesus. Visible before the eyes of all that are condemning her. And they say to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. What should, or what do you say? And this they said, testing him, because they're not very smart, that they might 
have something of which to accuse Jesus. So this, this woman was just an object. Her shame was just an object lesson to trap Jesus. But Jesus is gangster, okay? <laughs> Jesus stoops down on the ground, and he begins to write with his finger, come on, as though he did not hear. Is there something in the Bible of when the enemy comes accusing us before the Father? We have an advocate. He's not listening. I wonder what he's writing. Do you? I do. So many theories. Is he writing their names? Is he writing their sins? This is the third time in all of the Bible that we see the very finger of God writing. The first time the law. The second time it's the judgment upon the king in Daniel. And here the Son of God is writing... And they're like, he, he didn't hear you. Ask him again. He doesn't seem to be paying attention. And he raises himself up and he says to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at you first. I'm sorry, we've got to go to the next verse. And then he goes back down to writing on the ground. Those who heard it being convicted by their conscience, they went out one by one by one beginning with the oldest. It's usually the oldest who have lived the longest. They're most aware of their sin. They're like, yeah, I'm, I sinned. I'm going to go. I've been alive a long time. I'm going to go. And then, and then the youngest of it, they're like, the young people are like, I'm zealous and I might live a perfectly holy life. I might be the first one apart from Jesus, you know. Eventually they go too. Jesus shines the light on everyone. See what he does? There's no spotlight of condemnation that you stand alone in. The only only true light is the light of truth that shines over all of humanity. This is a beautiful scene here that Jesus is now left alone with this woman and the woman is standing in the midst. And I imagine what she's wondering. Here I am in the light. I can't hide anymore. Can I tell you, by the way, you never were hiding. Can I say that? When you face that, you go, here I am, honest before God. All of my darkness before him. Jesus raises himself up, and he saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She was expecting condemnation. It's what we all expect when we come into the light. But Jesus, she said this, No one's here, Lord. There's not a single condemnation in your presence. There's not a single accusation of, of, I'm being cursed now for my darkness. But Jesus instead says to her, Neither do I condemn you. I'm the light that shines in the darkness. Go and sin no more. And then he says, I'm the light of the world. (laughs) So have you, listen, listen, have you had the love and the grace of the light of Jesus shine over your identity? Have you in that place come to that, that point where you're honest before him? He sees who you are. You recognize that you are who you are before him and maybe flinching at what he's gonna say to you. Instead, you're met with loving Grace and forgiveness and redemption. Let me, let me tell you something today. This is the gospel of Jesus. That he became the adulterous woman on the cross. That he became darkness. The sky goes dark when he dies on the cross. So that you and I could be, listen, light in the Lord. You are no longer defined by the darkness that you've committed, that you've walked through, that you sense in your heart. You are now light in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Receive that today. Believe that today, that you were once darkness, but it's not who you are anymore. Why? Because of Jesus. 
you are light in the Lord. The light informs our identity. Jot this next one down because it has some transformative implications for more than just who we are, but also for how we live. Paul says that you were once darkness, but the light that has illuminated your life, it, it now just, it doesn't just define who you are, but, but it now is intended to guide how you live. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Your identity is that of forgiven and filled with light through Jesus. But your life now is to be defined by the same light that defines you. The light also guides our activity or how we live, what we do. Remember, he says this, you were once darkness, but notice this, now you are light in the Lord. Here's the next phrase, walk as children of light. Okay, so, so this is like classic Pauline writing and pastoring. Paul, Paul is never going to get you to think about doing anything until you are fully saturated and confident in what Jesus has done for you. That's first. So he'll take extended chapters and time to make sure before he gives you a single action step and thing to do for God that you are first like completely wholly defined by who you are in him. And he'll say, you are now light in the Lord. And then he'll say this, therefore, walk in light. The idea there, again, this is Paul. It's not about living into an identity. It's about living from an identity. This is who you are, therefore, now walk in it. And this is, again, all throughout especially the book of Ephesians. This is who you are, therefore, walk in it. And here Paul is saying, walk as children of light. Uh, two ways to think about this. First way to think about this is simply to walk in integrity. I'm now defined by light through Christ, therefore I want to walk in the light of integrity. To, to, to have moral character. To do the godly thing. It's actually what Paul says. He says, walk as children of light in integrity. He says, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Some translations say the fruit of the light is what, is what is good and right and true. I love that. Walk in what's good. Walk in what's right. Walk in what's true. That's the light. It's a filter. Walk in integrity. Filter. Is this good? Is this right? Is this true? That's the filter of walking in the light. Ultimately, here's the goal. We, we walk in the light, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Here's the challenge. You're children of light. So now we have a task. Okay, I'm a person of light. I'm called to walk in the light. So if I'm going to do that, I, I need to know how to do that. I need to know what's acceptable to God. What does God define as light? What is good, right, and true? That's what Paul is saying. Some translations say that as those who are, who are light in Christ, we need to discern what pleases the Lord. It's so important. Like for me too, like I, I was raised, I feel like where most of the, the, most of the things that were good, right, and true were just like caught rather than genuinely taught. So I just had this like junk, junk drawer, like sorting thing to do of like rules that I've been given. But I'm like, God, is this of you? Does this honor you? Is this legalism? All right, but God, I don't want to live in, 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 in sin. And so how do I do what's right? How do I do what's good? How do I do what's, what's right and true in your eyes? We were talking to our kids about this recently especially as they're getting older, like what we want to cultivate in their hearts is not just behavior compliance. You know what I mean? Like the goal is not that they do all the right things to make mom and dad happy uh, because eventually we won't be around <laughs> and we won't know what they're doing, right? And so what we want to do as parents, and this is the goal of every parent, is we want to shepherd the heart of a child that, that says, I want to just fear the Lord, you know? Like I want to do what's right in the sight of God. 
And that's kind of what we're working on right now with our kids. And it's funny because it's what we're working on right now in our lives as well. We're like, come on a journey with mommy and daddy as we learn to do what's good, right, and true in the eyes of the Lord. So that when no one else is watching, we can still have integrity. Because that's true integrity. Who you really are and what you really do when it's only the eyes of God on your life. He says, walk in the light. You know, the word integrity, it's the same um, word as integer, which means single. One. To have integrity just means you are one person at all times. You're not multiple people. You know, one person at church, another person on social media, another person at home, another person at your workplace. That's exhausting, by the way, you know. But to be one. To do what's right in the sight of the Lord. Can I remind you how we know how to do this, by the way? It's uh, the word of God. Come on, VBS. Thy word is a lamp to my feet. Amen? It's a light onto my path. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just say walk in the light, but he says here's a flashlight? This is going to guide your steps. How can I know, God, what's good, right, and true? I've revealed it to you in my word, which is a lamp to your feet. Your daily decisions and a light to your path where you're called to go and what you're called to do. Walking in the light. But I want to say this. It's not just walking in integrity. I think another aspect of walking in the light is also walking in honesty. Does that make sense? Like walk in integrity, but even when you're falling short of what's good, right, and true, you can still walk in the light. You know, this is what's cool about being a Christian. You could actually always be someone who's walking in the light. By at least... If you're falling short of a godly example, and if at least you're falling short of what's good, right, and true, you're honest about it. It's called walking in the light, right? Walking in honesty, being real. There's a lot that the Bible has to say about this. You guys are doing great, by the way. This is, my, this is basically proof to you what I meant about I have a lot of Bible for you. Let's keep going, all right? 1 John 1 says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. I, I just love that. That's how good God is. That there's not a single spot of darkness on God. He is only always light. You can trust him. There's no hidden motive. There's no darkness. All that he is has been revealed to you in the person of Jesus. He's not hiding. But it says this, if we say that we have fellowship with God, like hi, we say, hi, I have fellowship with God. If we say that, I have relationship with God. But we're walking in darkness and we lie and we don't practice the truth of who we really are. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we, if we reveal all of who we are to him, if we live in honest community as he has with us, with one another, then we have fellowship, notice this, with one another. Isn't that interesting? Like, how, do, how is a church having fellowship with one another? Because they're in the same room enjoying the same food? It's like, well, partially. True fellowship is where, listen, we're truly known and we're truly honest. I'm not in fellowship with a false version of you, and you're not in fellowship with a fake version of me. Playing these games, really, we're just the fellowship of darkness. We don't want to be that, do we? Because the gospel, we, we, we already saw it. it. It lets us be who we are before Jesus. No one's there to condemn you in Christ. He says this, we have fellowship with one another if we walk in the light, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I love that. It's like, I can confess my sin to you. I don't care what you think. Jesus forgives me. That's awesome. The one whose opinion matters most. 
looks on at me, and he sees forgiveness. He sees righteousness. So that, that emboldens me to be real. And I'm, I'm learning this, by the way, as a 35-year-old pastor walking with Jesus with my own preconceived ideas of what it means to be a good leader. I've got to show you my best side. Okay, someone's making fun of my hair product this morning, you know, okay. Worked hard on this hairdo, okay. I want to look good for you, okay. I'm learning that, like, the best gift that I can give to the people I'm called to lead as their pastor is to be a fellow sufferer, a fellow sinner in need of Jesus. I I can impress you with my strengths, We can impress one another with how strong we are, but we will connect with each other in our weaknesses. We'll go farther when we're real. We'll go farther when we're all like, hey, we're just here equally in need of Jesus. Amen? And let's let our community look like that. Let's let our house-to-house groups look like that. Let's let this be a place of such grace that you can come as you are before the light of Jesus. Knowing that that light is so powerful, it won't just accept you, but it will transform every part of your life. But Jesus doesn't transform who we pretend to be. He's transforming us from the inside out. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Hey, I'm good. I'm good. I don't have any sin. I got a couple pet sins, a couple of these. You know, I'm an American. I got a couple of these American sins. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Being honest with God, being honest with one another. You got, uh, you got room for one more? Praise God. Praise God, Jimmy. Thirdly, praise God is the phrase that Jimmy uses no matter what the circumstance, and it's become my favorite thing. Like, like maybe we're planning to play golf or something. I'm like, Jimmy, there's a thunderstorm. I'll go, praise God. <laughs> And the other day I said it at home, and Judah's like, Dad, you're trying to be like Jimmy. I was like, okay. He's condemning me with his light, my son, you know. Let's close with this. I think this is where we see how light just, it's amazing how the light of Jesus is dynamic, not static. The light of Jesus comes upon us to transform us. It it comes in us to change us. And, And then the light of Jesus is so bright that it actually moves through us. Jesus says to his followers, you are the light of the world. Isn't that cool? He's like, I'm the light of the world. I'm the sun. You're the moon. You reflect me. You're a lesser light, but you're still a light. My light, it doesn't just come to you. It's meant to go through you. That's the next thing that Paul speaks about is how the light shapes our ministry to the world. He says, have no fellowship. Look at this. With the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of those, he's speaking about the darkness of the world. And he's like, it's, it's, you ever felt this way? That it's, even, it's shameful to even talk about what the world's doing? The things that are done in secret. This was written in the first century. We, we would say today, the things that are done in public. It's shameful to even talk about it. But all things are exposed, that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Paul's like, you have a light, and it's meant to shine on dark places. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, here's the call to the world. Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. He's talking about the, the ministry of the church in the world. The light shapes our ministry. If there's a single question that I think Paul's asking, it's this. 
I think this is probably the most practical, okay? How do we, as children of light, interact with those in darkness? How do we navigate that? Like, I'm assuming that most of your light, life excuse me, is not spent around the light. I mean, just, unless you, you work at the best Christian workplace in America, like, if you do, that's awesome. But even still, if, actually, if you work in ministry, you see a lot of darkness. Like, I'm assuming that most of your life is spent trying to, to, to navigate being a light in a dark place. Anybody just want to say, that's me, that's my life? I mean, we've got to think about this. How do we do that? I mean, Paul's given us a great roadmap for how the light should shape our ministry. Like, we're now light in the Lord. We want to walk in light, honesty, and integrity. But listen, you are where you are, not because you wanted that job, but because God put you there. And wherever you are, he has you there. Whoever's around you is there for a reason, and, and you're there to be a light. So, so how, do we, how do we navigate it? And in this passage, you know, maybe I, I even say this, like, this isn't a new thing to think about. Like, God's people have been thinking about this forever. Like, how do God's people live in the world? You know, you had the, um, in Jesus' day, you had the Pharisees, and they had their goal. Like, how, how does the light interact with the darkness? We combat the world. We shine our light on their sin. Misuse our light. I picked my dad up from the airport the other day, and you know, the, you know when you, you know the airport, and like you're driving to do the pickup, and there's like the crosswalk where people walk. You got to go slow. You don't want to get a ticket. And you don't want to kill anybody, so you go slow. And my dad was like standing right in front of the crosswalk, so I'm pulling up to stop in front of the crosswalk, and it seemed that the authority figure at the time, in a really nice vest didn't believe me that I was going to stop. And so what she did was, she went, I guess, to my eyes with her light. I'm, dry, I'm, I'm like, oh my, what? I'm picking up my dad at the airport. I'm ex- and next thing you know, I'm like, she, by the way, she put everyone else in danger more so by shining that in my eyes. I was like, I'm, I'm stopping, okay? Right? It was horrible. Like, she was like aiming at my eyes. Okay. I led her to Jesus right there in that moment, you know? <laughs> Um, that's a misuse of the light. That's how the Pharisees thought. We got to just blind the world with the truth. That's the goal, right? Just shout at the world? Well, no. Then you have the Sadducees of the day, and the Sadducees were those that sort of just, they, um, they dimmed their light, and they just took on the ways of culture. And uh, in an attempt to reach the world, they just became like the world, and the world reached them. It's like, I don't want to offend you, you know. I don't want to blind you with the truth, so I'll just turn my light off, and I'll just, just look just like you. That's not effective. Like, how, what hope do we have to offer to the world if the life we live models the same life as them? And then you had a, there was a culture in Jesus' time, we know about the Pharisees and Sadducees, but there was this group of people called the Essenes. You ever heard of the Essenes? They were like a mystic sect of Judaism, very apocalyptic sect, and their mindset was, so the Pharisees, their thought was, we need to combat the world. The Sadducees, their thought was, we need to conform to the world. The Essenes, their thought was, we need to cocoon from the world. Got to get out of here. It's dark. Right? 
I need to go where there's, I need to go where there's not people. I need to cocoon and shelter myself where I can make my own Christian clothing, my own Christian music, my own Christian spaghetti. Like, I have a Christian cat named Abraham. It's, 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 it's subculturism, right? It's like we're not combating the culture. We're not conforming to culture. I know what we could do. We could just eject and retreat from culture altogether. That doesn't sound in sync with go into all the world and make disciples, does it? But why is that such a popular mindset of the modern Christian? All the early churches were planted in secular cities. Like, let's, you know, the, the darker the night, the brighter the light, right? So let's go. Now, now I love that. To, to all of those different frameworks, Paul's writing, and in this passage we just read, Paul combats all of those ideas. And Paul says, Here, here's what Christians need in culture. We need proximity, distinction, and Christ. How can I exist as the light in a dark world? Well, first thing you need to have is you need to have some level of proximity. Like light needs darkness to illuminate. Some people read this verse where Paul says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And they're like, oh, get away from the world. It doesn't say don't have fellowship with people who practice darkness. It says don't partake in what they're doing. Don't join in their behavior. But certainly you need proximity. I love this. You ever read this verse? In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul's like writing to the church about how to live different from the world. And he's like, I wrote you in my epistle. Check us out. This is like a heavy statement. He's like, don't keep company with sexually immoral people. Paul's like, check your proximity to these people. Paul goes, yet I certainly didn't mean with the sexually immoral people of the world. Or with the covetous or extortioners, your neighbor, Bill, you know, or idolaters. Notice this, since then you'd have to get out of the world. I love Paul. He's like, no, 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 I didn't tell you to not keep company with, with other people in the world. That's, that's the people to whom you've been sent. I was speaking about those who claim to be a brother. Check the company you keep spiritually. That's first priority. Especially even before you go out into the world, you can't go out alone. You need strong, essential, primary Christian community that's solid. And then it's from that framework that you go out and you be like Jesus. You're a friend of sinners. You, you got to have proximity. But you also, in the midst of proximity, we need to have distinction. We need to shine our light. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, so, a filter If everybody in my Christian, like if, if in my secular world, okay, if where I'm interacting with darkness, if everybody hates me, there might be something to think about. If I don't have any ongoing friendships or persevering friendships with people who aren't Christians, okay, I'm not talking about your children, okay? <laughs> it's another sermon, that's in two weeks. <laughs> Like, it could, be, it could be that you are embracing and bold at the same time, but it also could be. Like, you look at Jesus. People are like, everyone hated Jesus. It's like, no. A lot of people love Jesus. A lot of people hated him. That's true. But if, if, if everywhere you go as, you're, as a Christian, people just hate you, it could be that maybe you're not embracing. Maybe there's the grace thing. Maybe there's the gospel. 
Maybe there's this thing called love that people need to sense from you that will give greater weight and authority to the truth you're speaking. Now, on the flip side, if everybody loves you, it could be that God's given you great favor. It could be that he's opened up great relational doors. That's very possible. Or it's possible as you pray. Maybe your light's dim. Maybe you need some oil. Maybe you've been living in the fear of man rather than the fear of God. Can I just tell you, at every and any point that I found myself at that marker of this relationship continuing is based on me being quiet about what I believe and being honest. I just want to say, I can testify to the fact God will use your boldness for Jesus. Even if it offends eight of them, there's that one person that needed to hear what you had to say. You have no idea what God is doing in their heart. Stop acting like you're God. Let him do that. Our job is to sow. Our job is to trust and to serve him. Amen? Proximity, distinction. We'll close with this. I'll invite our team to come out to close us out here with the last point is Christ, man. We preach Christ. We preach Jesus. We go out into the world and we, we want to live in proximity. We don't cocoon from the world. But in culture, we cross over, but we, we also make sure that we have distinction. That we shine the light. We represent Christ well. We show the world what he's like, who he is. At the end of the day, our message to the world is not one of combatant righteousness. It's that of imputed righteousness. It's that of a righteous savior. It's Christ. We don't, our commission is not to moralize the nation. It's evangelize the nation. It's, it's to uplift Christ and say, you have to call out darkness, but the point of calling out darkness is not to condemn darkness. It's to present Christ as the light who shines in the darkness. It's to say to the world, wake up. Christ wants to give you light. That's what God is even saying over us today. Wake up. Have you settled in darkness? Have you begun to manage your darkness? Have you accepted the darkness? And maybe bowed your knee to it. The darkness of depression, discouragement, of sin, of shame. Whatever the form of darkness in your life. This is just, this is even from, this is just from Jesus to you today. Just the mailman. Like, here's what Jesus said. Awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead. What a promise. Christ will give you light. Anybody need some fresh light in their lives today? This is our message to the world, but we can't shine a light we don't have. So why don't we do this? Let's take a moment here as we close. As you close your eyes, as we come before Jesus, the light of the world, we just confess that together. Jesus, you are light. Maybe there's someone here today and they've been timid and afraid preventing themselves from coming to Jesus because they don't they don't know how he's going to respond you don't know how he's going to react when he sees what's in your life and today you're just reminded that Jesus loves you he already sees the thing you're hiding and he says come to me like that woman whose entire life was open before the Messiah your life is open before him and he asks you Where are your accusers? I'm the only one standing here with you. 
and I'm looking on at your life and what I say to you is I've taken your sin upon my very shoulders. And my light is a light of healing and love and grace. Open up your heart to me. Receive my light. Receive my forgiveness. Come to the light and be met with salvation. Maybe that's you today. Today, it's just a prayer from your heart. Listen, the sinner's prayer is just this. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, forgive me. Shine your light on me. I look at the cross. I see what you've done to save me, and I receive you into my life today. To speak to the Christ follower now, maybe for you, you're here, and darkness has defined you more than you'd like. And you have a promised invitation today to just open your heart back up to the light today. To just confess your sin to God. Confess your depression to God. Bring your darkness to Him and receive His light. So we just pray, Jesus, would you flood our hearts with your light this morning? Let's take a moment to do that in His presence. We'll sing this song, whether you need to receive it, sing it back, or just take a moment with the Lord. We want to take a moment here to just receive the light of Jesus and just pray, Jesus, flood our hearts with your light. Illuminate our hearts. Let's take a moment to do that.